everybody. How you doing? Well, thank you very much. First of all, I want to thank you, Brother Sean, very much for the opportunity to be here with you guys. And also, I just want to warn you all here that I am still learning English, okay? So often or sometimes I will say something that didn't sound correct. And because of that, I'm trying to uh, avoid some words, okay? Like you guys have a gas station here in the U.S., the gas station starts with an S-H, right? And when you say that name of that gas station, say it, brother. When I say that, sounds completely different. <laughs> That's why I don't pronounce that gas station, and I try to pull, you know, gas in different gas stations so I can tell you where I, you know, got some gas, all right? So I apologize for my English to begin with. As Brother Sean says, my name is Daniel Rojas. My wife's name is Mauren, or as you say here in the U.S., Marine. We have twin boys, and they are 15. They just turned 15. We have a, a daughter. She's 10 years old, and me and her, when she was about five, we went for an ice cream. We sat down. I you know, brought some papers, and we already agreed and signed the papers where it says that she's not going to get married, okay, where she's going to stay just with me. And she signed the paper, so. Amen, Amen right? <laughs> so, you know what? It is such a blessing to be here with you. And my ministry is a little bit different than other people's ministry. And I want to share with you what we are doing. Okay, so before I even say something, I want to show you a little bit of video. And after the video, I'll give you some details. And as the pastor say, after lunch, we're going to get together. I encourage you, if you want to know more in detail what we are doing, stay so you can learn more. Okay? If you don't mind playing the video, brother, would be great. As you see there in the video, for a long time, our ministry has always been uh, to assist and train pastors. Let me tell you something very quick. Okay? If somebody has a problem in the church, if you're going through something, right, if you have a problem, who do you normally call to? Who does people call in the church? Their pastor, right? And what if the pastor has a problem? Normally we say, well, he got to go to God. Don't we all have to go to God? Did you know that being the senior pastor of a church is one of the most lonely positions to be? Right? You know that often... People have some crazy, unreal expectations about their pastor. Like the pastor, he cannot have any problem. Pastor cannot be battling with anything in his life. Pastor, don't suffer temptations, right? Oh, and here's the thing. The pastor's wife, oh, she better play the piano, teach Sunday school, teach the ladies, and she's you know, got to be a perfect wife, and she got to do all those things together at the same time, Okay. And the pastor's children, if they don't know the Bible by memory before they're five, <laughs> they're not good enough. Now, how realistic do you think is that? Not right? Did you know that often the people in the church is very merciful when somebody else in the church do something wrong? But if the pastor say or does something that he shouldn't say or, or do, immediately it's like I crucify him, right? You know that often pastors go through a lot of conflict in their life and they don't have anyone they can talk to. They can trust. And it's worse when this pastor actually 
believe they must be perfect. And we know that perfect is only one, right? Because of this, a lot of pastors go into depression, a lot of pastors go into anxiety, a lot of pastors deal with a lot of problems. And one of the biggest problems that pastors will have is discouragement. A pastor, a discouraged pastor, is a discouraged church. But if the pastor is encouraged, if the pastor knows that the church has his back, that the church is praying for him, and the church is actually saying, Pastor, where do you want us to go? You know, how do you want us to help you? And he's going like that. Oh, that's going to be an unstoppable church. Now, I know you guys don't do like that with the pastor, right? I mean, I know, I'm talking about other churches, not this one, right? Absolutely, right? <laughs> but that is a sad, that, a sad reality. That's why we come and help churches. Now, I'm going to tell you something that you may not believe me, but believe me. Did you know that sometimes, sometimes the pastor and the pastor's wife have conflict? Did you know that? Because sometimes people think like, no, they don't have, you know, conflict at all. Well, I mean, I'm a pastor, and I did have to sleep on the couch a couple of times, okay? That's the reality. Now, you think that Satan actually attacks you? You have no idea how much Satan attacks the pastor. Your pastor pray for you. He cries for you. He's there for you. You know what else? The pastor sometimes miss out things, things in his own family to be there with your family. Did you know that? Now, do you know how many people comes to the pastor and say, Pastor, thank you so much. Thank you so much for all what you're doing. And maybe you're not getting paid enough <laughs> to deal with all what you're doing. Do you know how many people does that? I'm not going to say zero, but the number might be close. Now, on the other hand, pastor, well, I don't like the way how you say that. Pastor, I don't like the way how you painted the wall. I don't like the way how you did this and that and there. What do you think, how do you think that the pastor is actually going to feel with that? Because of that, we are training pastors, helping them emotionally, helping them theologically, of course. Also, there are sometimes pastors in Latin America, they are not theologically prepared, so we help them with that. Now, all that is our general ministry and different things, as you saw there. But two years ago, two years ago, the Lord, you don't have a watch here, right? Okay. I might get excited here and then just go, pastor say no more than two hours, so okay. Very quick, two years ago. The Lord has showed me something, the little girls that you saw there, and brought us to a whole different level of ministry. Let me tell you here. Uh, I trained the police. I am a black belt for a degree in martial arts. The name is ninjitsu, the martial art that I, I, I teach, okay? And I'm highly qualified there in Costa Rica, and that's why I trained the police in hand-on-hand -hand combat, okay? Physical combat. So... I always, you know, do things like that and, and help others to defend and to fight and all that. So here's the thing. Two years ago, we are in this children's activity, a VVS activity, and a man, a senior man in his 60s, 70s, he comes with these two little girls that you saw there, and he says this, if you give me $50, you can have the girls. At first, I thought he was just joking, but he was not. 
And he says, if you give me $50, you can have these girls. I did not like that, of course. So I asked the pastor what was going on there, and the pastor said, that man is in a lot of problem. He is selling drugs. He got his own daughter in drugs, and these little girls are his daughter's daughters, okay? And the daughter got in drug. Now she's in the city because that was a very small village in, the, in a little island, okay? And it says the, the daughter now is in the city, and she's a prostitute there. That's why the government came, took the girls away from the mama, and gave it to the grandpa. The problem is that the grandpa is the source of the problem. Okay, he's in some, you know, problems, financial problems now. He owns money to some people there, and that's why he's selling the girls. I come, I share this with a team from the U.S. that we were having that, you know, in that moment there. And one of the girls from the U.S., she calls her parents here in Pennsylvania, and her dad wanted to talk to me on the phone, so I talked to him on the phone, and he says, can we adopt the girls? And I was like, well, I don't know. That's not my expertise. That's not my field. But let me make some phone calls, and I will let you know. Long story short, yes, the girls were adoptable. And we started the whole process for the girls to be adopted. That was in, sometime in June 2019. So in Costa Rica, the adoption process sometimes will go all the way into five years. But the police there, not the police, the child service protection and the whole thing there, helped me and say, because of the situation with the girls, we're going to shrink it and we're going to make it actually possible in six months. That was unbelievable. That was unbelievable. So we go through all June, July, August, you know, in the process of adoption. I was so excited because I was being part of something like that for the girls. Imagine how amazing those girls will be, you know, once they get adopted. I come to the U.S. 2019 in September, and as I'm visiting these different churches, I'm, you know, speaking in different churches, I receive a phone call from the pastor's daughter there in, in, in this little town, and she says, Daniel, we have a problem. What happened? The man took the little girls to the city and came back without the girls. We don't know what happened. First thing that I'm thinking is he dropped the girls with the mama. And we are in the middle of the, the, the adoption process, so this cannot happen. I called the police, some of my friends, and I said, I need you to help me with this. Okay, so they went, and next day in the morning, I called them again, and they say, it is worse than what you think. The men sold the girls to a group of Colombian people here in Costa Rica that already has an open case for organ trafficking. When they say that, I was like, what? I am originally from Argentina, which is all the way South America. And Costa Rica is in Central America, okay? Close to Nicaragua, Panama, all that area there, okay? And I've been until 2019 for 18 years in Costa Rica. And I'm thinking, child trafficking, organ harvesting, those things don't happen here. Those things happen on the other side of the world, but not here, right? So when they say that, I immediately flew back to Costa Rica. And they say, tomorrow in the morning, if, they say this, if we don't find the girls in 48 hours, it will be too late. So in the morning of the following days, they say, we're going to go to raid their house, you know, because we know where they are. Do you want to come? Of course I want to go. So I went with them, right? I do not have the uh, jurisdiction to actually walk into the house, so I'm just waiting there outside. Praise God, they got inside of the house, and they brought the girls. So the girls were alive. Praise God. But because of the immediately, 
the girls being rescued from child trafficking, the whole adoption process will stop and cancel, and every child who is uh, rescued from, uh, from child trafficking immediately is not adoptable. And I'll tell you that later, okay? I start to call every children's home there in Costa Rica. I work with almost all of them. The biggest one, Christian's uh, children's home. I'm calling all of them. None of them will receive the girls. None of them. Why? Why they would not receive the girls in their children's home? Because whoever paid money for those girls will want the girls back or their money back. And that will put in a really high risk to the orphanage or whatever the girls are. And because of that, none of them will receive the girls. Now, here's the thing. As you saw, we found a temporary mom to the girls, okay? And I'm thinking, child trafficking in Costa Rica? So immediately, I call the Ministry of Justice there in Costa Rica, and I say, I want to know more about this. So he's a friend of mine, and I say, child trafficking, I want to know more. He said, do you really want to know more about this? Because you have have no idea. And I said, well, I want to have an idea. He says, come to my office. I went to his office, and he started to tell me things and says here in Costa Rica the top three crime industry we're talking about industry that means organized completely organized with a whole structure and everything okay the top three is the first one is drug trafficking second one is money laundry and the third one is sex and organ trafficking now here's the thing and I will give you more details there in, in after lunch. But I'm going to just say a couple things here that are sensitive that I want you to understand. Okay? When you think about sexual abuse, okay, or sexual exploitation, often, well, here's the thing. Maybe you never thought about that. Maybe you never actually have the need to think about that. Because when we think, when we hear child trafficking, that is enough. That's bad enough. And then when you hear sexual exploitation, well, you don't need to picture that in your mind to know that is bad, right? But when I'm with him, with the, with the Minister of Justice, he says, this is our problem here in Costa Rica. Sexual exploitation is not with older teenage girls, as many other people think. People from all around the world, sadly, especially from the U.S., will come to Costa Rica and pay from $5,000 an app to be sexually with boys or girls from 8 years old until 12. That is the biggest window. Now, when you think about child sexual exploitation, you, you know what we're talking about, right? Sexual activity, of course, at the end. But when we talk about uh, organ harvesting, what are we talking about here, right? You know that I used to have this idea that organ harvesting will be actually because another person needs that organ in some other part of the, around the world, right? Well, that's not the case. In Costa Rica, same, people from other countries and people from Costa Rica, they will pay a lot of money, listen to this, to eat children's organs. I showed the pastor some images of that. 
I might be showing a couple things later. But when I am learning all these things, the first thing that happened to me is that I got so, so mad at myself first. Because here's the thing. It's not that I never heard about child trafficking. No, I heard before about child trafficking, but I never decided to actually learn more, get involved, do something. So I was so mad with myself first. Then later, I want to make a short, uh, long story short because I want to share the word with you guys here. Then later, the, 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 the Ministry of Justice says the police is so corrupt Sadly, the police is so corrupt that from now on, what we're going to do is once we know that we have children that need to be rescued from child trafficking, I want you, Daniel Rojas, to be there and receive those children, okay? And you will provide them you know, for a safe environment for them to be. Praise God, this year we've been able to, I've been able to save 60 children, okay? But at the same time, we do not have a place to put those children because no orphanage wants those children because it's so dangerous to have them, right? So I actually have to ask uh, a favor from, you know, these all the different orphanages and some people and say, can you hold them until we open our own children's home? So they are holding those children there until we open our own children's home. But here's the thing. In the meantime that I've been here in the U.S., we have lost seven children already from those uh, orphanages because they could not hold them no more, so they have to send them back to the same place we rescued them in the, first, uh, in, the, in the first place, okay? So, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Did you notice there, when I started to learn that, and as more and as more I was getting into this, more and more, I noticed the absence of the church. The church was not there. And I have a very, very big conversation with the Lord. And saying, Lord, where is the church? Where is the church? Now, I'm going to share something very hard. And then we're going to go to the Bible. Uh, I'm called the fourth time they call me. They call me the first time, we go, we rescue some children, the second, the third. The fourth time they call me, said, Daniel, we have a situation with children, we gotta be there. So I go with them immediately, right? And when we got there, remember that I don't have the jurisdiction to go and get into the house, right? So I'm just waiting outside. And in the meantime, I mean, everything happens there, they arrest you know, the guys and everything, and the lead on the squad team, he comes and he says, Daniel, come over here. And I just come closer. I'm thinking they're going to you know, send the children out. He says, you need to see this because if you cannot handle this properly, you better don't come back again. So the police uh, doctor, how do you say that? Forens, friends? Okay, he comes and says, put on these gloves. Give me these very thin gloves, right? And I'm getting, I'm ready you know, to walk into the, the house. And as soon as I walk into the house, I turn around, this big table with three little child, completely open and no organs inside. And the doctor comes, holds my hand, and says, touch, I mean, I, I did, he didn't say it. He actually just hold my hand and made me touch the bodies, and they were warm. And the doctor says, I think we missed it for 20 minutes. Do you know what is to be late 
20 minutes to rescue those children. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, and I'm not going to pretend to be super spiritual and that I am under control of all this, because that's not the truth. That day, I have a serious conversation with the Lord. And I say, really, 20 minutes? I mean, a lot of things come through your mind in that moment. A lot of things I thought I knew evil before. And now I'm seeing this? And I got late? That I couldn't save those children? God, I thought you were in control. God, what do you want me to do? In those moments, a lot of people lose their mind. I did went through a pretty tough depression back in February after I saw that. And I started to pray, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And that's when we decided to create this special children's home to rescue those children and bring them to this special place. Now, I want you to know that we've been threatened already. And I'll be telling you a little more about that in a second. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Let me tell you that threatened before so I can share the word with you. In the meantime, go to Matthew chapter 4. We are rescuing these children, right? So we are rescuing these children. And every good day where we rescue children is a sad day that you see what is happening and what they're going through. We continue to train the pastors because the first, acti- the first children that we saw was through a church children's activity. And now I was wondering how many more children are going to church that are being abused in their houses, and that could actually escalate all the way to end up in child trafficking. And often in Costa Rica, pastors, the church in general, they don't know, they cannot identify that, so we train them now to identify those cases and things like that. So we are rescuing children, right? And as we are rescuing children in June, in July of this year, we received a a note, a, a letter, okay? My wife, actually, somebody just dropped that in our mailbox there, and my wife got it. She opened it, she read it, and she brought it to me, and the note says this. Stop messing with our business. We know where you live. We know where your children go to school. Let me tell you something very quick. About six years ago, I was speaking in churches here in the U.S., okay, and it was exactly on Mother's Day. I remember that. I will never forget. Exactly in Mother's Day, I was speaking in some churches here in the U.S., and on Mother's Day at midnight, my wife called me and says, five guys broke in our house with guns while my family was in the house. I was not there. They were there, and took my whole family hostage, took my wife and children, tied their hands and feet, beat my wife, okay, took everything from the house, and it was a horrible thing, of course. I, call, I mean, when she's talking to me, my, 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 my boy, one of the twins' boys, called me and said, you know, he want to talk to me. I get the phone, and he says, Dad, he said, Father, forgive me because I couldn't defend Mom. I could not protect Mom. He says that. Every time I leave my house, I'll tell my boys, hey, guys, watch over your mom, okay? Take care of your mama. I never meant that. And he says, forgive me because I was not able to protect mom. The other boys say, 
uh, I was able to untie my hands, and when they were hitting mama, I actually was about to take your sword. I have a, like a decoration sword in my room. I was going to take your sword and just hurt them so they, they don't hurt mama. And my daughter says, she's four in that moment. And she said, I was so scared, I thought I was going to die. And I'm not there. I made a deal with God, all right, before that, long time before. And I said, Lord, if there's going to be any suffering, any pain, any death, any horrible thing in my family, give it to me. Give it to me. I'll take it. Okay? And, of course, you cannot make those kind of deals with God. He's sovereign, and he does what he wants. Was I pleased? Was I happy? No, I lost my mind. And I, want, I don't want to go through that again. And people say, well, Daniel, if you were in your house and those people break in your house, you might want to try to defend your family, and maybe you will get killed. And I say, well, I don't care. I don't care dying for my family, of course. I decided that day, and I told my wife, I'm going home right now, and forgive me what I'm going to say. I told my wife, I'm going home right now, and I'm going to go hunt those guys for hurting my family. And my wife told me something, and she said, Daniel, if you come home, if you come home now, Satan wins. So stay there in the U.S. and keep sharing in the churches so we can continue serving God. And I said, well, don't, don't, don't ask me that. You see, I never, I'm not trained to do nothing. Don't ask me to just don't go and defend my family. I'm not made of that. And I have to stay. And that was a really, really difficult time. I travel long distance here in the U.S. And when you are by yourself driving long distance, you know how bad it gets here? It gets really bad. I don't want to go through that again. And I told my wife when we received that letter, and I say, honey, here's the thing. If you tell me right now, if you say right now, stop it, I'll stop it. I don't want to drag you and the children with me to this. We are being threatened. My wife, she cried, then she prayed, and then she came and she said, next day, uh, who are we? If the Lord is calling us to do this, who are we to say no? If something is going to happen to us, the Lord will protect us or not. But he will be glorified. That day we call the children and we resurrender our life to Christ. And when, I, when we resurrender our life to Christ, this verse right here and this passage in the Bible is what the Lord has taught me so strongly. And I want you to come to the book of Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to be reading verse 19 and 20. Jesus is walking, and he's about to say the one invitation that he repeated the most. says like this. You ready there? Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. What did Jesus say? Follow me. That's the most repeated invitation from Jesus. Okay. All right. The Lord wants to tell you something about that. Huh? He says, follow me. 
right? And I will make you fishers of men. Verse 20, they immediately left their nets and followed him. Now, here's the thing. I want to ask you something very quick. What did Jesus meant when he says, follow me? Let me tell you something very important. And those who are listening in their homes also pay attention to this, okay? If we are not capable to comprehend, to understand this calling from the Lord, we will be missing the most important factor in Christian life, in Christianity. And you may say, don't, don't, aren't you a little too radical to say the most important factor? I believe it's the most important factor in Christianity. He says, follow me. What, what he actually meant when he says, follow me, if I tell you right now, you ready? Let's go. Follow me. What will be the first question you have? Where are we going? You know, like, I, no. Where are we going? Right? Let me know. Let me see if I have the time to go with you. And if I even care going, where are you going? Where did Jesus go? He says, follow me. And then where did he actually went? Jesus went to the street, the temple, house, city, mountain, sea, desert. He went everywhere, right? Not only that, what did Jesus say? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I've come to give you eternal life. Seek first the kingdom of God. Believe. Love God. Love your neighbor. Love yourself. Forgive. He said a lot more things. What did Jesus do? He healed people. He shared with them. He cried with them. He taught, uh, teach them, trained them, and died for them. Right? Who did Jesus talk? Pharisee, we, uh, widows, prostitute, demonized people, fishermen, tax collectors, soldiers, emperor, governor, sick people. Do you get the picture? He did all of all these things. So when Jesus said, follow me, what exactly he's talking about? What about we let the Bible tell us exactly what was Jesus talking about? If you come with me, I'm going to read it here anyway, but if you come with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 5, I'm reading from the New King James, okay? Okay, so here's the, the way how it says here. And I have the way to compare, of course, you know, with Spanish and Italian, that I speak Italian to you a little bit, okay? So I, I can see what it says here. And this is what it says, and I love it. Book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. You ready there? And it says like this. Therefore, be imitators. You see that? Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us. When it says walk in love as he did, what is telling us? To imitate. Right? Very easy. So, what does that mean? So, when Jesus says, follow me, what is he saying? He's saying, imitates me. Go behind me, go where I go, say what I say, and do what I do. When Jesus, because Jesus, I mean, when Peter, Peter was there, remember that? When Jesus called Peter, it was not, and listen to this very quiet, very carefully. Okay, and I mean this with love, and this is what I learned from the Lord to me. Okay, when Jesus called Peter, was not for Peter to wait sitting in a chair until Jesus comes back for him. Do you understand what I mean? How many of you, and I'm the first one here, we just 
desire for Christ to come back, right? I'm like, Lord, I want you to come right now before my daughter wants to have a boyfriend. I mean, especially that. But please come back. You know, I really want him. But what do we do in the meantime? Sometimes, and I mean this with love, we feel that we are doing enough by just coming to the church and sitting down and listening to the pastor. I've done my Christian duty, uh, doing already. Duty already. This is what I'm supposed to do. No. You know what is the thing? Peter's calling was a very special calling for a very special task that will cost him everything. Do you remember what happened to Peter at the end? He died. He was crucified. For what? For sharing the gospel. And he died crucified and he said, I'm not worthy to die the same way Jesus died. So he was crucified upside down. Do you remember that? One day Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? Three times asked. Remember that? And Peter said at the end, yes, Lord, I love you. And then Jesus said, correct me if I'm wrong. Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, I love you. Okay, Peter, sit down. I'll be back in 2,000 years. Is that what he said? See, Peter, go and do your business, okay? And whenever you have a chance, come over and you know, see what I'm doing around here. Now, right? Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. That's what the Lord told Peter. And that day will come when Peter needed to stand up and show. Because that's the thing. When Jesus said, feed my sheep, that day will come where Jesus needed to show that he actually loved Jesus. Right? Remember, Jesus died on the cross. He was buried. Then he resurrected. He came back again. And, if, and, and some days later, he was taken to heaven. But before that, he says, I will send the Consular. The Holy Spirit will come. And that day came. The book of Acts chapter 2, right? Remember that? Verse 12, you can read there. We're going to go there, actually. And they were all there in the upper house. In the upper, is that how to say upper house? In the upper room. Okay, and they were all there together. And when they were together there, the Holy Spirit descended. Remember that? And descended and baptized them with the Holy Ghost there. And here comes the, the awesome thing. They all started to speak in tongues and language, which is other dialects, right? And everything was so wild immediately right there. And what happened with the people? What the people thought about that? Remember that? Let me tell you what happened. The book of Acts chapter 2, chapter two verse 12 says like this. So they were all amazed, you know, the people who was actually witnessing what was happening with the disciples here. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking say they are full of new wine. <laughs> they thought they were drunk. It's a confusion moment. Everything is wild, confusing. Nobody knows what is happening, right? And right there, in that very moment, Peter knew it was time. It says in verse 14, and I love the way, the very first two words here. It says, but Peter, right there, but 
Peter. What Peter? That crazy Peter who chopped a soldier's ear. That crazy Peter who actually uh, walked on the water. Who else can say, you know, besides Jesus and Peter, yeah, we, we both walk on the water. What do you did? I walk on the water, you know, there. And the same Peter who later denied Jesus and was forgiven by Jesus. He knew Jesus' mercy. But that Peter, but Peter says here, right? Standing up with the eleven, raising his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwells in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my voice. It was time. Peter knew it was time to stand up and follow Jesus. Following Jesus requires a decisive step of commitment. Listen to this. It's not just a warm feeling. It's not about a tender emotion. Have you, have you seen how sometimes happens in revivals and youth camps and these special activities where people go and you just feel so well, so good. You might come to church and that one song, that one uh, word from, from, from God come and comfort you. But at the end, sometimes it's just an emotion. Following Christ is not an emotion. Following Christ is a commitment, an everyday commitment. It is a decisive act of my will to step out of the crowd to follow him. It needs to go to whatever he leads. It needs to do to whatever he requires. It needs to suffer whatever he asks. It needs to give whatever he demands. It needs to obey whatever he commands. To follow Jesus means you are surrendering to Jesus. You are submissive to Jesus. God is not calling you, listen to this. God is not calling you to be an spectator. He is calling you to follow him and do what others are afraid to do. I love when Jesus comes, when God comes, and you are complaining to him, and you are just complaining, and with his love, he just come and slap your face, you know, with love and with truth. And I'm asking God, God, where is the church? God, where is the church? Look at all these evilness here. Look at all what is happening here. In church, we speak about love each other, right, to be there for others. Where is the church? Do you know what Jesus said to me? Daniel, you are the church. You are the church. The church is not a place we go to. We are the church. And that's why I'm showing you this. You say, where is the church? Right here, you are the church. So what you gonna do now? And then we resurrender our life to Christ. And decided to go where he want us to go. Do what he want us to do. Say what he want us to say. It's like signing a check and let Christ put the amount. The bottom line is here. Do you love Christ? Are you in fire for Christ? Are you passionate about Christ? Are you unashamed of Christ? Do you speak up for Christ? Are you willing to go anywhere, anytime, to do anything for anyone for Christ? That's the question. 
God says, follow me. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. I love that verse. James 2.18. You show me your faith without your work. Is that possible? No. Right? Show me your faith without your work. I will show you my faith through my work. There is often a lot of people who only speak but do nothing. And God says, do you love me? Yes, I do. Feed my sheep. That means show me your love. Now, do you love Christ? Here's, and I'm going to be finishing with this. And I strongly, strongly recommend you to stay so you can learn more. And if you have any other question about our child trafficking fight, I would love to answer you there. When you learn, when you read about the, the, the first the, the disciples, the apostles, Peter, he died. Matthew and the rest, they died. Remember that? The primitive church. What did the gospel cost them? Everything. It cost them everything. And this I heard from an American pastor saying here. It cost them everything. So far. What did the gospel cost you? If my answer is nothing, it's because maybe that is exactly what I'm doing. And I'm not telling you to go and give your life right now and do something. Here's the thing. Some people talk about giving their life, dying for Christ. How about living for Christ? What are you willing to do? Not only to reach out to others, but also to show others what Christ has done in your life. We have a very strict uh, rule when we work with these children that we rescue. Before we share the gospel to them, we show the gospel to them. Me and my family, we have decided to follow Christ. And if just to surrender of life to him and for him to decide what he wants to do with us. We are putting ourselves in a hot spot where, yes, there's danger. Yes, there's a lot of things. But the Lord has called us. And we're saying, yes, I want to invite you to say yes to the Lord. I want to invite you to pray for us. I want to invite you to pray for those children. I want to invite you because the reason I'm here in the U.S. right now is to raise enough money to actually buy a property, a, 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 a house that I show you, brother, that house. There is for sale there in Costa Rica that belongs to a Christian organization here in the U.S. And they are selling that. And I need to raise $150,000 by, by, by December the 20th, okay, before December the 20th in order to get that place. That place costs much more than that, but it, uh, they asked me to give them a down payment of $150,000. And I told the Lord, Lord, that's a lot of money. I don't have that money. And he said, I know you don't have that money. Well, but I tried to raise money before and it didn't go that well. He said, go and tell people. 
tell people that they can be a part of that fight. Well, I don't know about that. Well, talk to them. Tell them until somebody listen. So God says, <laughs> here's the thing, very quick. Are you willing to follow Christ? Are you willing to surrender your life to Christ? Pray for us. Pray for those children. Pray that we can raise the money that we need to bring these kids because we have 53 children now. We rescued 60. We lost seven already. I don't want to lose any more children. And we need this place that is fully equipped for them as soon as we buy it for them to come to this place and to give them the opportunity to have hope. Let's pray. Right there where you are. Close your eyes right there where you are and just think, what have the gospel cost me so far? Am I living a maybe very comfortable Christian life? Maybe you might think, well, I don't have a big house. I don't have a nice thing, so I'm not that comfortable. But maybe in your Christian life, you're not taking any risk. Maybe in your Christian life, you are actually comfortable. And the Lord says, follow me. Do you love me? Show me that love. Maybe you're here today and you say, Lord, I want to surrender my life to you. Take control of my life. I give you my life. I give you my person. I give you my family. I give you my resources. Do with it as you please. For you to be the glory. You can use your own words, but if you want to surrender to Christ, re-surrender to Christ, you can do it today. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lord, because there are sometimes things that we don't understand. Things that not always are clear for us, but these we know, Lord, and we know that you are merciful. Your grace, Lord, is forever, and you love us so much, so much, that you show, you demonstrated your love, your love to us by coming to earth and dying the cross for us, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we, might, that we will be brave. There are so many people that are afraid. So many Christians that are afraid or just comfortable. I pray, Lord, you will touch our life and you will give us the braveness that we need to shine your light, to show your gospel, Lord. I pray you'll be blessing each one of the families who are here today for those who are listening in their homes. I pray for you to bless them in a mighty way, but at the same time, I pray they will answer to you and say, Lord, here I am. Use me. We put our life, our resource, everything in your hands. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.